All right, welcome back to the Healing with Zenodyne podcast. I am your host, Garrett Ray. Today we will be talking with Mason Uxell. He is a yoga teacher and yoga studio owner, as well as a musician and all-around interesting guy. We are going to talk about the path that brings us to yoga, the challenges that keep us from yoga, and the connection between science, mathematics, and spirituality. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do as well. I give you Mason Uxell. Brother Mason, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, it's been fun already, and we've just been playing music, hanging out with people. So now that we're here on the microphones, why don't you tell people about your yoga studios and what you're doing? Sure, sure, sure. So um, my business partner and I, we have three yoga studios in the western suburbs of Chicago, uh, Oak Park, Berwyn, and Elmhurst, running a bunch of classes running a bunch of virtual classes. We have outdoor classes. We do teacher trainings. We've just recently started a um, sound school for sound healing and inviting people to express themselves through music without having to be masters. Mm -hmm. So instruments that are easy to pick up, play, and make a nice sound really easily, singing bowls or shakers or simple drum. And it's it's an empowering thing. And um, yeah, we, we... I got into yoga um, some time ago. Around the same time, my business partner also got into yoga, mm-hmm. and it just seemed like it snowballed from there. Sure. And all of a sudden, we were teaching classes and had these studios, mm-hmm. and we're navigating all that. It's a great time. Right They're on. called Ahimsa Yoga Studios. Ahimsa. Yeah. Mm, and right. that means? Ahimsa, a really simple... Um, a really simple translation is nonviolence, mm-hmm. but I like to think of ahimsa as this. When people ask me, "What is ahimsa?" Violence has a life cycle, so an act of violence it usually starts somewhere, and someone passes it to you, or someone passes it to someone, and they usually turn and pass it on. That's how violence kind of travels around a lot of the time. One violent act, oh, now I'm angry. Take mm-hmm. it out on someone else. Take it out on someone else. Take it out on something. And, and on and on and on it goes. Ahimsa is this idea that when the life cycle of a stream of violence comes to you, you can filter it and turn it into love. Mm. Oh, boy. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh. So there's good, doing good in the world, which is a generative act. You're creating a good vibration. And then there is what you just described, which is not only generating... Well, you can generate a good vibration out of it. That's the highest good. But at least being the sounding wall for a painful vibration, shaking through the universe and absorbing it and giving off at least zero negativity, you know, and at best an equal and opposite vibration of positivity. Ahimsa, yes. You know, right. That's good choice for the name of the yoga studio, you yeah, know? Yeah, totally. And it, it, it's to be thought of as a practice, hmm. you know? Like practice ahimsa through your life. Practice this embodiment of peaceful energy mm-hmm. and, and understanding and holding space for the violence, which is, you know, violence is kind of like a lower maturity level than Mm -hmm. love and understanding it's a lower vibration for sure right 
uh, and I don't mean that in an esoteric way, I mean that in a direct way. Um, there are many levels of, of consciousness and there are many ways to be violent. You know, uh, you can be violent physically and emotionally to someone else. You can be violent physically and emotionally to yourself. Um, and one of the things I think that causes the spiral that people fight so hard to get out of and the reason for so many self-help books and the reason for people, you know, literally reaching out and saying, I need help, is this spiral of self-mental violence, you know. And there are so many ways to shock yourself out of it. Uh, and yoga can be one of them, you know. Uh, do you have anything to say to our listeners about how to shock themselves out of the spiral? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think many of the teachers at my studio, we communicate this, practice ahimsa on your mat. So a lot of people come to yoga, they want to gain strength, they want to get more flexible. And you're on your yoga mat and you're seeing a pose or sensing a pose you want to do it. The teacher's guiding but your body is showing up with some resistance. And there's a couple paths you can go from there. You can say like stone headed, like, no, I want, because if I don't do this, then I'm going to be fat and I won't be lazy and I won't be as cool of a looking yogi as some of these others. And the mark of an advanced practitioner of yoga isn't really like they can do so many poses. They can do the full expression of all these poses. It's knowing like where to meet the body and how to like let the pose do the work, meeting it with effort, but also meeting it with ease mm. instead of just hammering it home, which is just a violent, self-violent act yeah. fueled by ego and Absolutely. fueled by all these like shameful thought mm -hmm. places. One of the things we came up with earlier uh, was the, the body is always trying to give itself to you, you know, mm. and... When you show up and you listen, and if your downward dog is like almost a push-up because you don't have the flexibility of the lower spine, as long as you feel it and the pull is happening from the heel to the base of your skull and the back of your head, uh, you're supposed to feel that union at whatever degree you can feel it, and then you're supposed to take a good breath and watch, and that's yoga, you know? To learn in an analog way how you are going to deal with stress and problem out in the world, you know, and you can come to a posture and watch yourself get close to and then fail when you really wanted to, wanted to get it, you know. And you can watch what happens in your consciousness and learn about the way you deal with failure. And then when you go out in the world and something happens, you get fired or, you know, your relationship ends or you get in a car accident, you've seen what it feels like to fail and you have at least have some internal dialogue and method to deal with this instead of like, getting sprung on it in a situation that has dire consequences and you're in your infancy with learning how to fail. The mat is the training for the world. <laughs> the beautiful thing about yoga is that as you're, as these thoughts, challenging thoughts sometimes and emotions are coming to your mind, you are engaged in a system, an ancient system designed to support to support those thoughts as they come up. So you don't have to, when these thoughts come up, have the ultimate answer on how am I gonna deal with failure? How am I gonna process this? And how am I gonna make it so that I'll never fail again? Or, or whatever you know resolution you think you should have. All you need to do is keep giving your energy to this system, yoga, 
the breath, mm. moving through the postures. And the postures are going to help you reach some neutrality, yeah. reach <clears throat> a peaceful body mm. that's always trying to give itself to you. And so this peace that you can generate in your physical body manifests in your mind, at least the support. You know, there's something inside what you just said that is unbelievably peaceful, and it is that uh, through what you just said, if you accept that, uh, it feels like you're not alone. You know, people have been through this thing that you've been through, or you're being. People have been through this thing that you are currently going through, and this is how you polish up. You know, um, and while all religious teachings kind of have that at their heart. There's something about this doctrine of, you know, when you go through that experience that's extremely scary and then you turn around and like your friend's right there and they're like, yeah, I got you, man. It's all right. You know, like I've been through that and you got it. You got it. Just push through and you got it. Yeah. That's kind of what this sensation of like, oh, you're alive. You're going to be alive for 80 years and it's going to be kind of crazy. You never know what's going to happen. There could be tornadoes, flood. Who knows? You're going to be happy. You're going to be sad. You're going to have good food, bad food, no food, lots of food, whatever. And uh, by the way, do this system to polish up because it is pretty crazy. It's gonna, it's gonna help, mm -hmm. you know. And it, it'll always be there for you. Mm -hmm. Every, your, your body will never age out of yoga. Mm -hmm. One of the most beautiful things about yoga is that it's going to adapt with you, and it will always be there, and you can always return to practice. This system, like you said, it's been there. It's reflective of all the lives that humans have gone through yes and it's not faith-based you do it and you see the change it's not you know do this all your life and trust that later no it's do this for just a little bit and you're going to see some serious changes and if you do it for a long time people are going to look at you and say hey can you teach me how to do whatever it is you're doing yeah you know? yeah you yeah you will feel something your first 10 minutes mm -hmm. and i yeah you ask anybody they their first yoga class, their first moment with that connection, they usually remember that. So what do you remember about Vipassana meditation? <sighs> well, it's interesting. You know, I was just describing that, like, at some point, you're going to lose some physical ability that's going to keep you from things you love, that uh, the physical things that you love. The way I got to Vipassana was through injury. Hmm. My whole life, I was an athlete, at least, you know, from my preteen years, I started training pretty hard and I was never the greatest student at the beginning of high school or through high school. I didn't become, a, you know, interested in academia until a bit later in college. And so athletics and the body was my way of like staying focused on something, staying brewing a discipline of something, you know, and I was so engaged. It was how I began to identify, like how I center myself is through physical activity. I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to, you know, work out really hard or I'm going to go to practice. I'm going to make my life scheduled around all this practice. And it gave me this structure that felt really, really nice. Played sports all through high school, went on to college and I was recruited as a rower in college, <laughs> like won all types of tournaments in college decorated athlete and rowing is a really cool sport because if you win a tournament in rowing 
every boat that entered has to come and give you their jersey. So I have jerseys of Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, Syracuse, Boston University, Cal, you know, all these Division One rowing programs that I like have a closet full of jerseys. That's amazing. Yeah, which honestly, it's like way cooler than trophies. Cause yeah. like, what do you do with a trophy? Like you show it to someone every once in a while and they're like, oh, cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. You, okay, you did. You're not lying. You did what you said. Yeah, you right. But like jerseys, like I literally wear them. Yeah. You know, I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna wear my navy jersey. Yeah. You know. So. Oh yeah. No, I won this in a competition of of might. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literal strength, stamina, yeah, and precision. It. So that's a really fun thing. Um, <clears throat> and then sometime, I started getting into yoga. That was around the time when I started getting into yoga after my rowing career had ended and I just wanted to stay healthy and it was another physical thing that I could really identify with. I started in Ashtanga yoga, which mm. is really serious, discipline kind of yoga, which spoke to all those things I was saying before about my identity. And then I suffered this injury in my back. It was a culmination of dieting in a really extreme way. I had just finished a 12-day fast, and I was also exercising really extreme. I was 21 years old when this happened, you know. So 21-year-old, you tell yes, about totally fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. yeah, you can't tell a 21-year-old about like don't push it too hard. He's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying to find where that edge yeah. is. Well, I found it, you know, and my body was like, that's too far, and it was really interesting. It, made it really hard to have bowel movement function. Yeah. I was like not able to sleep on my back. I, you know, would have trouble sometimes like having sex or like enjoying sex because of the pain and like not like numbness I was feeling. It was an entirely new physical dynamic yeah. to myself, which for me was huge because as I just said, like my identity was like being this physical person. And I felt very lost and very insecure. I could do like gentle yoga, but I really couldn't push any kind of exercise in any way. It was a total 180 from what I was doing. Right. And, you know, I was just a beginner yogi at this point, and I knew there was something there to continue. So I kept doing yoga. And then this one teacher told me about Vipassana. And it was interesting that she told me about this meditation technique when I was describing kind of like physical discomfort. Cause I was like, but isn't meditations for the mind? Like what, what are you talking about? Like medit I I'm talking about my body I, I, my back hurts and I can't <laughs> sleep. Like, well, how's this going to help me? And she was just like, just go. And my business partner had gone. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. Vipassana is the style of meditation that the Buddha practiced. So people talk about religion and there's a whole religion, Buddhism, and I don't want to, you know, discredit anybody's work or anything, but the way it was taught to me, the Buddha went around to teach Vipassana. This is what he did. He, oh, you, everybody coming to him, describing their suffering, Vipassana meditation. Practice this meditation. Learn this meditation. Here are the like lifestyle uh, adjustments you can make that are going to support you in this meditation. 
the practice of vipassana you find a seat and you remain in this seat and you observe the sensations that are occurring within your physical body noticing them allowing them to rise and pass rise and pass this is what all sensations do before you have something happening in your brain there's some sensation in the body happening first and your mind is only reacting to sensation in the body and these sensations rise and pass you don't have to think about if a sensation is real if this is imagined am i making it up or is this pain is this what is the meaning of each sensation it doesn't matter you feel each sensation rise and pass while you practice vipassana surely you're going to come across uncomfortable sensations where i learned you're sitting trying to remain perfectly still for at least one hour your knees throbbed you the first real sensation that i connected with was pain my back yelling at me you need to move this is not good for you my knees were screaming i'm just trying to sit here if you react to this sensation the buddha teaches that you're solidifying this sensation you're deciding what the meaning of this sensation is and you're solidifying it these sensations coming up the hard ones the buddha calls sankara and this sankara can be from your childhood it can be from your infancy it can be from a life that you lived in the past and it's coming up now it's lived within your vessel it's lived within your spiritual path your your soul of reincarnation and it's here with you now and your choices you can react there's two types of reactions you can have craving or aversion that's it or you can simply allow it to be and this sankara like the nature of the universe it's going to bubble up and show up and it might be here for some time it might be here for a long time but inevitably like the rest of the universe it's going to pass mm. the buddha calls this anicca 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 the impermanence the impermanence of all things and so it was in this time that I first experienced that this pain, this discomfort that I was feeling in my physical body. This is just a relationship that's happening. This is my mind's determination of all the of sensations that are occurring. And I, I can sit here and be sure of what they are and depressed about them, or I can not decide what they are let them rise and pass let my physical experience be totally new mm. for sure and this i'm going on about it but for sure healing an injury healing trauma whatever it might be is going to be a new sensation mm. right mm. it's going to be something you've never felt mm. 
Yep, so you have to jump into the abyss a little bit with it, yeah. Right, and, and, and most of the time, you know, people are in a box with their sensations. They don't want to feel something outside of it. It's scary. Right. It might come... Sometimes you might interpret new sensation as pain, and you've got this idea that pain is bad for me, mm-hmm. and I don't want it, and so you're pushing away the very healing that's trying to come to you. Or, or the reverse can happen too, where you're, the sensations you've decided are good, the ones you like, you're craving them over and over, and this is what the ones you want. Those might not be really that great for you. No. Well, and if you do Vipassana meditation, they won't be there, and you can observe. Yeah, Shivani and I have been uh, meditating the last couple of days as like a practice. We're going to meditate every day this month. You know, it's been a while since either of us have done a practice like that. I think meditation is one of the things that everybody says, oh, you know, you should try this if you want to heal, if you want to level up and make your life better. You got to try meditation. But frankly, it's kind of a hard thing to break into without a good push and good support. You know, like sit down, be quiet, close your eyes, observe the contents of your consciousness. Most people are not capable of sitting down and having a transcendental experience with just those couple instructions. You know, they need someone present to guide them. They need a positive space where they can feel uninhibited and supported and usually a couple other people there who it's even nice if they haven't been through it a lot so you feel like you're not the only novice in the room trying something new, you know. Um, So one of the main points of this Healing with Zen and Dime podcast is helping people get over the barriers between them and some positive practice, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do people get into meditation in a fun and happy way? Well, I was uh, led to these Vipassana centers, which are all around the world. And this is kind of like, there are different ways to get into meditation. And I can talk about some other ones, too. But this one is kind of like the boot camp. Mm. You want to just, you want to dive in. You're curious and you want to just go into tr- meditation training. Mm. These Vipassana centers are all around the world. They're donation based, so anybody can go. It's ten days. the The initial course that everybody has to do as their first course is ten days. It's silent the entire time. They feed you and house you, and you learn. To practice vipassana meditation you meditate for like four hours a day and um i had no idea when i first went that it was going to be like that i thought the challenging part was going to be silence but learning to meditate in this way was a serious challenge and hmm. a serious um gift so that might not be the easiest way it's it's easy in that you'll get it from that I guarantee if you're looking for a transcendental, expansive experience of like, oh my God, that's it. Mm. You will get it there. I guarantee that. There are other levels of meditation too. If you want to just experience like subtle enjoyment, you can, there are really great, you know, guided meditations on Spotify, or you can go to any yoga studio the first yoga class you ever go to, you're going to have a portion called Shavasana. Right, yeah. The final final resting pose. And in Shavasana, you're going to sit still with your eyes closed, laying on your back while you're awake. Hmm. So one of the things that I've found 
most enlightening in that pose at the end of a, a long hour and a half hot yoga class in 105 degrees and I'm like I'm beaten right at the end it's time for the final breathing and I kind of lean in a little hard and do a little bit Wim Hof a little bit um, you know breath of fire just and like really get it and then I take a deep breath and I lay down and I'm just like gone like way out there and I like slowly fade back into my consciousness become aware that I have a body I open my eyes a little bit and I'm like where am oh hot yoga awesome <laughs> um and then all my muscles are by definition as relaxed as they can be there is no muscle there is no flex no nothing and uh, my autonomic nervous system is completely in charge of my diaphragm and so my breathing I need a ton of oxygen because I've been pushing it and I'm sweating and my diaphragm goes and fills my lungs up all the way of its own volition. And then I'm just like, what happens now? And it's like, it just stops flexing anything and relaxes and all the breath runs out except maybe the last 20% of my lung capacity, you know? And I'm just blown away by how strong and amazing the body is and how much I needed to be fully relaxed to truly appreciate this novel breath that I'm experiencing at the moment, you know? Any amount of like uh, energy or like tension stored in my brow or in my eyes or in my hands or my jaw would have been sufficient to occupy enough energy to make this experience less impactful for me, you know? Yes. Yes, yeah, the, the breath is really powerful in that way. Mm. The Buddha always would teach that the breath is the link between your conscious and your unconscious mind. You know, the body has all these systems mm -hmm. that are, like you said, automated, mm -hmm. like your heartbeat, you know, and breathing is a really cool one because you can control your breath really specifically yeah, absolutely but you let go of control of your breath and it does it on its own too everybody's always talking about vibration you know uh the universe is made of energy and nothing but energy and energy is, expresses itself in vibrations. so i guess it makes sense that everyone's always talking about vibrations because there's nothing else to talk about um however they've come into vogue in a way that allows for a lot of like double speak and stuff that really doesn't mean anything in the middle of it you know like oh, i like your vibration and all that that really does make sense but it's thrown around more like a volleyball than it's thrown around like a philosophic idea that has a lot of weight behind it mm -hmm. you know what i mean when people talk about the chakras having different colors in the rainbow ascending up the fact that the major scale ascends a really similar way and the visible spectrum ascends in the same way i'm all for lining those up I mean, really, when you look at the chakras in an esoteric way, you can describe what it does. But in a mathematical way, you have this first thing that is like your waist center. And then you have, I mean, the baby center is the beginning. It seems like it should be near the top, but it, here, here it is. Uh, but then you have where you process food, which is good. Uh, you have your breath. Then you have your heartbeat, like your circulation. Then you have your voice, your communication centers, your thinking centers, and then the nice pillar at the top of, of everything, you know. And it just, it makes sense. And I think there is, there's an art and a science of making everything work, you know? And if you're really gonna get at the heart of it, you, like Nikola Tesla said, you have to start with vibration. That's the heart of everything, you know? Um, and you, you have a degree in engineering? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, we've been talking a lot about um, 
you know, intangible things like yoga and breath and everything. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, serious vibration and engineering. Right. Yeah. What have you been doing? I got into engineering. Well, you know, you're in college and I've always connected with uh, math and science. It seemed like this is a great way. This is a great degree to have. I don't know what I'm going to face in the world, but engineering, I'm going to learn something here. Hmm. And it, I find it really interesting Engineering is really heavy in math and science, right? And it's so interesting how the deeper you go into math and science, the closer you get to feeling like you're talking about spirituality or you're talking about God or you're talking about the evolution of the universe. And it's like, wait a second, I weren't we describing like distance over time? Yeah. And... Now, wait, now we're talking about the origin of the universe? Uh-huh. Yeah, time did not have the same meaning then as it does now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so. it's beautiful. I love that uh, as you get deeper and deeper, you get closer to God. That's the idea, right? That's what I meant when uh, I think it was before we were on record. But I said, like, yeah, I'm just trying to poke a hole in the universe. I want to, like, there's this whole, like, veil in front of me, and it's in front of you, and it's between us, and it's not between us. And it'd be nice if we could just, like, See behind and go, oh, okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Like, close it back up and go on living our lives, you know. Yeah, let the universe continue. Yeah. Where did you go with mathematics? What were you, th you know, thinking about that made you feel? Um, well, originally, I wanted to, uh, the big dream was to learn engineering and s create sustainable energy, wind, mm -hmm. solar power, learn how to build houses that function completely off the grid on their own and um yeah i worked for an energy company for a little while repairing gas lines <laughs> in the middle of the city under underground it was a pretty interesting experience pretty physical connected to this you know realm connected to the really physical earth realm. and the grid system yeah. and like yep without this none of that up there would be possible right you, you got yeah. a hands-on experience in ways most people never never will right so that was really great it was grounding you know yeah. mostly i was repairing gas leaks in the city of chicago on medium pressure lines and the system in the city is ancient it's over 110 years old it's cast iron so it's basically turning into sand in the ground <laughs> it's carrying natural grass gas around and uh it's leaking all over the place yeah i'm glad i'm well you're close to the city so <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. that's intense though that's it's beautiful in its own way, in like a relic kind of way, in a kind of way of we got to create sustainable fractal cities based on uh, the architecture that we find in nature, like beehives and flowers, you know, mm. put all the resources at the center, let it like flood out in the way that it needs to. I mean, we're on our way. Uh, what, uh, what do you have to say about creating the city of the future? There's a lot of belief that humanity um, is living counter to the earth. And I think this is a very limited view and technology, the pace of technology. Sometimes, you know, you get the, the natural crowd and they're like, oh, no, technology, the phones. Oh, oh, it's bad for us. But I really believe 
that humanity is going to figure out a way to live sustainably with the planet. Mm-hmm. We're so young and technology is so young. You know what I mean? You think humans have been around in their state for whatever, a hundred thousand years, but technology like in it's like electro in this like electronic form is like very 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 new in in the yeah. way that hum- humans creating it well and you think we're going to be able to uh make a couple of left turns and start using it to our serious advantage instead of occasionally to our advantage and seriously to our disadvantage most of the time yes yeah i really do i, I try to practice like a better relationship with even the technology that i ex- coexist with because yeah. you know so much of the talk you hear is like oh i'm done my phone too much oh too much computer time and mm, i used to be like that too and now i take the time to just be like thank you phone well yeah and i was just realizing that um, what i said was a little bit sensationalist because if i take a look at the way that i'm using and let's just go digital technology i don't want to talk about technology and the scope of my car or the wheel you know, we'll talk right. about digital technology. Yes. Um, I do a pretty good job with my digital technology, and I'm occasionally distracted by it. But I would say like 80% of the time that I'm on digital technology, it's like for my art. And that there's a lot of people like that, you know. There's some people who are just hypnotized, and 80% of their time on technology is just mindless scrolling. And that's obviously bad, but it's something I think we can grow out of quickly. So I just kind of want to plant a flag there and say that I don't think technology is this giant evil thing that's taking over everything you know the definition of a fractal is a mathematical equation that has it's a repeating equation self-referencing equation that has sensitive dependence on initial conditions so if you change one tiny little thing in the beginning and then let it iterate itself a hundred thousand times it's in a wildly new universe than it would be if you just change that thing back and let it iterate itself a hundred thousand times you know Mm. so i think People all have this wonderful capacity to engage the universe and be in the sunlight and light and love and answer complex problems and invent novel games and ways to enjoy their times together. Uh, But we are sensitive and dependent on the initial conditions of our reality. So if you put this phone in front of us and give us this little dopamine hit over and over and over, and then all the people who have lived with that for 10 years start having kids, and then you fast forward 15 years and those kids live in a world where their parents have had a Facebook five years prior to even being born, they live in a new universe, you know? Um, But it's not this big thing. It's this tiny little shell of a tiny little thing that is nowhere near as serious or heavy as the impact that it's making. It's like this illusion that's been allowed to drill this giant hole in the cognitive world of our society, you know? Yeah, and I totally think, like you said, a small shift can create a drastically different outcome and i think this period of like people being hypnotized by technology is temporary and Mm -hmm. that like an evolution is going to happen where it's a more symbiotic relationship because well technology doesn't just want to just sit there and do nothing either Mm. right technology well, and we're kind of getting onto the idea of artificial intelligence. Let's talk about it. And the way I see it is like there already is artificial intelligence. People are like, oh no, artificial intelligence. What does that mean? Where is it going to come from? And 
what's it going to do? And like, oh, worrying about like Terminator and stuff. But really, I mean, Google recognizes more voices than any human on the planet. Right. Like iPhones recognize more faces than anyone on the planet, better than anyone on the planet. Well, and they've been doing artificial intelligence stuff for a long, long time. They actually there are companies that have rudimentary functions they need performed in some program on the computer, like to handle some website data or whatever. They will hire a team of like three people to do this thing. And they will hire a team of 10 people to build an artificial intelligence bot that observes the action of the three different people doing it in three different ways, categorizes every way that they do it, learns how to do the job better than the three of them because it cross-references and come up with its own pattern. Then they fire those three people and never hire anybody for that job ever again. Right. You know, yeah. I guess that, and that was happening 15 years ago. Right. I have a great um, example of that. To identify if I breast cancer tumor is is cancer or benign you like get the images and you send them to like i think the term is radiologist and you know it's peer-reviewed by x many and they all make a judgment on if they think it is cancer or not and at the time that this that i read this article they were at something like 85 percent or 90 percent on yeah and then they just had a artificial intelligence bot view all the images that exist on you know which ones were cancer which ones were not and this thing like knocks those knocks the experts out of the park 98 percent or something yeah like incredible well we don't need any of you 100 people anymore (laughs) but thank you for your service good job well the weird thing about that is that at the end of the day uh, artificial intelligence is doing a lot of jobs like bagger jobs at grocery stores and human hours are better spent than bagger jobs at grocery stores. The only time that it becomes a problem when you replace the bagger jobs at grocery stores is when you make everybody, you know, make money for resources. And then you're like, oh, geez, well, you couldn't even get a job as a bagger in a grocery store. I guess you don't get a place to live or any apples, you know. Right. And that uh, that's founded by uh, the manufactured scarcity and the distribution of wealth into, like, 17 massive piles and then everyone else is like well sorry you're not talented enough to get a bagging job at a grocery store you know so uh the the ability of artificial intelligence to do a lot of the menial jobs that in my opinion are we're just wasting human hours on and being like hey you should get a job and work for most people uh those jobs could be better spent farming coming up with novel solutions to the problems of the world or making art or any of it you know i was gonna say that exactly so how do we use how do we use artificial intelligence not in the terminator way but you know to our advantage what can we as like the average person do to participate in that yeah i mean and that's why it's, it's inspiring to see some politicians starting to talk about universal basic income and things like this i know there's some sphere around those topics too for a lot of people but yeah. in in a world where we can design machines to do most of the things we need for survival mm-hmm. like make clothes make homes make food a lot of food yeah, and right. you know and run hospitals like imagine you have that kind of like streamlined and they're like oh all of a sudden it's like we have enough you know we already do have enough but like this way it really feels like oh wait wait, we we do have enough Mm -hmm. you know so yeah now let's all just (laughs) 
ascend in consciousness. Well, the the real challenge to that is the measure of control that we will have to have as a species because survival of the fittest is a natural checking mechanism to keep a uh, biome in balance. And as soon as we have everything covered, you can stay home and just have babies. And that's not right, just Mm. period. You know, there is, first of all, you should get out and live. Uh, You should not stay home just because your resources are taken care of. You must get out and live. That's one thing that really, if we organize the society well and work well together and we have good art and meaningful um, lessons that we teach our children, we won't have to say, hey, man, don't just sit home and do nothing, you know. Um, But we also cannot just reproduce ad nauseum, you know, that that's the weird thing about it, you know. when you produce ad nauseum right now, you must get the resource. Well, I guess we have uh, the great check on survival of the fittest, which is the welfare state. You right. can just, uh, yeah. Oh, you got five of them. Well, geez, all right. Um, gives you a little bit more money. Yeah, I know. It's it's a trip, and I'm not saying that I decry that or anything. No, but it's very complex. I know, very I know. Uh, but in reality, if we had every challenge of survival taken care of, and people were able to just be and be period I guess what I want to say is you think we'd pull it off I think we would I really be- I really believe we would because I think the things that lead to someone being stagnant are all wrapped up in that system of survival mm-hmm. you know like the weight of like oh I know I should go make money but a job, this job opportunity sucks. Mm-hmm. So I'm just gonna just I don't know. I'm gonna float around, do this. Yeah. I, like I'm just, I'm what I'm doing is avoiding. Mm-hmm. It's not like yeah, I'm avoiding having to deal with that system. Right. And I'm just kind of floundering away. And if that system didn't exist, and now you have abundance and moms being a parent, I shouldn't just say moms, parents having the time to like spend with their kids and love each other. And like, I think wealth, as soon as you have some enough wealth that you can like take a moment and not have to fight for survival, you can, you can sit back for one second and organize your thoughts about what should you do? This is such a free freeing experience. And it's something that every human should have because most humans are just struggling with that thought of like, how am I going to survive? Mm-hmm. And, or the depression of the weight of that thought. Right. You take that away and then you've got these natural systems of humanity, of the love that we're like created by literally two people merging mm-hmm. and through love. Then that becomes the system. You, everybody's mm-hmm. connecting from a place of like, Hey, the only reason I want to interact with you is because I want to learn from you and love Mm -hmm. you and gift to you and share. Right. (laughs) There's no other reason. Right. You know, right now, so much of the interactions that are happening in humanity are about survival or about, you know, hoarding wealth or something like that. So eliminate all that. Yeah. I don't think I played my song Spinning Round for you yet, but it has a very nice line in it. Uh, 
When you're feeling separate, that's the darkness. And we were talking earlier about Isaac Asimov and his book on black holes. One of the biggest things that I credit my ability to be generally happy and productive at any given moment is the deep feeling of connectedness that I feel with everything in the universe. And indeed, at its deepest, connectedness becomes a useless term. It doesn't mean anything because there's no separation, you know? So when you get into those moments of, man, I feel trapped in this system and this and that and this, like the very highest thing that's available to you at any given time, whether you are happy, sad, stressed, or just on top of the mountain, is to get rid of that sense of disconnectedness, get rid of the sense of connectedness, because there is no separation, you know? Um, and as we're moving forward, what people can do in the everyday moments is take those deep breaths and go to yoga and all that and train up because the universe is gonna come at you, it's coming, you know? Uh, while the body is always trying to give itself to you, the, all, the universe is always trying to come and pinch you, you know, and it can pinch pretty hard. Right. You know? At the end, there's the ultimate pinch, right. you know? So, you know, you, you gotta train up. Um, and at the end of the day, it's fun. It's like weightlifting. When you show up and grab the right amount of weight and you breathe and you do it with good posture, it feels awesome. And the same, meta I mean, that metaphor applies to everything. There's a weightlifting of breathing. There's a weightlifting of treating your kids right. There's a weightlifting of treating your parents right. There's a weightlifting of finding the right job, mm -hmm. you know. And you could take weightlifting out and say yoga or balance or whatever you want. Um, but the training is an every moment thing. Um, and I do recommend you read some Isaac Asimov. <laughs> he wrote 500 books. Uh, the one, and this is to the readers. I know you've read Isaac yeah. Asimov. I, re I just realized I was speaking to the, the listeners. Um, check out his book on black holes. It's 85 pages long, and it has changed everything that I understand and see about my history in the universe and allowed me to come up with my own understandings and philosophies based on the expansion of the universe because he just puts it so plainly and so matter-of-factly. So can't recommend it enough. I'll put the link in the description below this uh this talk. Heck yes. Gotta love Isaac Asimov. Mm-hmm. Well, and he wrote iRobot, too, so come on. <laughs> right, right. The Foundation Trilogy. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to uh, connect with something you were saying about, like, the universe is coming to, to, to pinch you, you know? And these pinches, like you said, you gotta be on your training, right? You gotta put in the time to whatever self-care routine you want to have there are so many different ways yoga meditation those are the ones i connect with really easily but there are tons of whatever outlet you want to choose and they're so important because really these pinches that the universe is giving they can their guidance right it's guidance to your own prosperity and happiness and path or destiny this is like the universe is coming it is trying to lead you on a path and like are you going to resist that or are you gonna let the universe come in sweep you with some new stuff and are you gonna allow that to happen all right that was a great conversation i hope you enjoyed it you can find Mason at ahimsayogastudios.com. Those studios are in the western suburbs of Chicago, and they would love to see you. As always, you can find us at zenadime.com. Thanks for listening.